Your right to free speech ends with my right to not listen. I am not required by law to listen to you. What I would like to see more of in Christian attitudes is being more concerned with the rights of others as well as yourselves. We cling to and defend our rights as Christians so much that we forget that with rights come responsibilities. Welcome to Living Beyond Your Memes, where we try to help Christians get beyond talking points and pat answers and engage the world around us the way Jesus did. I'm your host, Brian LaCroix, and I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Latterell. In this next two episodes, we're going to talk about the great issue of rights versus responsibilities. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Josh, how are you? I'm doing Pretty darn good, Brian. How about yourself? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. Yep, yep. Cannot complain at all. Transition going well in your new job and everything? Yeah, deep into my new job. I am, what, three-ish weeks in, maybe four, and uh, busy as all get out, but I feel like we're making progress. Good. Yeah, it's nice. I'm glad to hear. uh, Lots lots of good meetings, meeting some new people, and getting a feel for what the next few years are going to inhale for me. You so. bet. So kind of a joint effort between academia and entrepreneurship. And- yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of great ideas in academia and um, mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the sort of the business or entrepreneurship side of things, which is kind of what we're bringing. Um, but it's not just for the university or higher ed, it's for actually the whole region. So mm-hmm. it's cool. designed to serve the, the community. For those of you who don't know, I'm now working at Northern State University for the uh, Innovation and Startup Center that they just launched this year. So we're specifically engaging entrepreneurs and tech entrepreneurs to help them succeed and create this digital ecosystem in the region. So um, there's a great article about you in the newspaper, along with your two other related semi-cohort guys. Yeah, actually, there are uh, three different programs starting this year Mm -hmm. or kind of around the same time and okay we we're kind of the new fresh faces around with mm-hmm. some fun new ideas that everybody's excited about we'll be yeah. working together quite a bit too so well, that's good yeah. and one of the things that the article pointed out was that other universities who have tried to do what you are doing at the university it generally only works when it's not a collegiate administrator doing it it's when it's an, an entrepreneur with experience in these areas is actually in charge of that program. That seems to be the, a great key to success at other places doing this very thing. So it looks like they went to the right direction and they got you in there. And I'm excited to see what uh, God does in you, through you, um, and through the university, through your efforts. It's well, exciting. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. it's yeah. Like I said, it's it's pretty exciting so far. So Good. Good deal. All right. Reading any new exciting books lately or continuing on anything that you've been on before? Um, haven't had time to read much recently. I suppose not. (laughs) Um, yeah, reading, reading a lot of, uh, articles, blog posts, but, uh, Mm -hmm. nothing in particular book wise. Okay, cool. Yourself? I'm still uh, working through that biography of Martin Luther King Jr. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm really glad I'm taking the time to really devour it. It's a slow read, not in the sense of that it's a ponderous book itself. It's just that there's... The guy did so much and was pulled in so many different directions, even within his own movement. You can almost feel that agony in his spirit 
people were calling on him to do this and that, and he spoke all over the place, and he was still an assistant pastor at his dad's church. And between getting arrested and going to demonstrations and and then infighting within his own movement uh, about whether he should be involved or not, you know, and just really a great book. I'm really just enjoying, you know, uh, learning, first of all, but I think I've got a new appreciation or I'm gaining a new appreciation for him in particular and the struggle that really, you know, you really can't, I, there's no way I could really relate to it on a personal level. And so uh, I'm asking the Lord to just really help me invest myself, I guess, in the learning of that. Um, my wife and I visited the Civil Rights Museum down in Atlanta when we were there, uh, which was uh, Martin Luther King's hometown. He was born there, so we visited his birthplace and, of course, the uh, Civil Rights Museum and all these things. And he is buried there along with his wife in his tomb and her tomb are right there. You know, just a, a sombering uh, experience, a somber experience, sobering on some ways. Uh, I grew up uh, small town Indian reservations, and I can get a sense of the oppression that my ancestors felt on uh, my father's side. Um, and yet, uh, I think I would be a far cry from being able to say that I can relate, you know? Sure. And so it's been an eye-opening book and loving it. I'm also continuing another book by Ron Johnson called Where is God from 9 to 5? Talking about, you know, is God, does God care about our work? Does he care about what we do for a living? And it's an interesting book. It's, it's in the form of a story. So it's, um around a discussion that this professor guy has. So I'm working through that and enjoying that. Continuing to listen to my audio biography of General Grant. And that's amazing. Oh my goodness. I mean, I love history and biographies anyway. And um, uh, this Grant, um, <laughs> nobody knew. I mean, he just did not look like your quintessential, you know, model of a modern major general. You know, <laughs> he just did not. And uh, he was overlooked and underestimated uh for most of his career grew a beard and then people finally started taking well, actually, him seriously he had a very Is long that? beard at the beginning oh. when he when the board first started kind of hanged up hung down to his chest and he close, close cropped it but uh it was when he started winning victories and uh all of a sudden it's like he's winning and no other uni general is he uh, brought two major turning points in the civil war that drew attention to him from the president and others and they're like oh this guy fights and he wins our eastern generals do neither <laughs> and so hmm maybe we've got the wrong people in charge of how we're running this war and he's so self-effacing he was not proud um, struggled with alcohol but not to the degree that the mythology has created over the years and created during the war years and there were generals who were out to get him and other officers who just didn't like him. So they would literally spread false stories about him being drunk all the time. And uh, he did get drunk on occasion, but not nearly to the degree or to the air and the frequency that uh, he was accused of and never at battle. And uh, hmm. and so um, anyway, fascinating book. Um, I'm really enjoying listening to that. I'm not this is my first real dip into the audiobook pool. So I'm glad I picked this one. It's been a very great thing. So Good. well, people spreading false stories about you because they're out to get you. That doesn't sound familiar at all these days. No, it? it doesn't. People have <laughs> moved past that, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. Yeah, our society's way beyond that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so, 
And, and I, I'm diving into uh, Star Trek Next Generation too. So I'm following the advice of some of my friends who say that if once I got past that first episode or two, you know, it's, it's really most of the first season, probably the first half of the first season. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. And uh, along with all your other great reading and great literature, I, I, I consider Star Trek The Next Generation to be high art. So right, right. Now, right I don't know if you saw that, that. Uh, last time we kind of had this little discussion <laughs> in which I declared my universal belief that the original series is the best series. And you mentioned that you thought in in your errorful opinion that that um <laughs> the, the next generation was the best one i got a note from our editor who says that we're both wrong and aaron says that deep Star space Trek. nine deep space nine yeah is is the best one well i haven't seen that one yet i haven't done voyager haven't done these deep space nine so you know there's now, a lot to be said for deep space really? nine yeah okay. I will, i'll give her credit for that i okay. um think that She's at least got a fair case to make for I see. Deep okay. Space Nine. All right. Well, eventually, maybe while I'm in my 70s, I'll get to that one. <laughs> All right. So tonight we are going to start a two-part discussion on the whole issue of rights versus responsibility. Because here in America and American evangelicals, especially in the last two years, but really since Reagan, American evangelicals have been big huge in fact huge oh about our rights especially right. rights to religion free speech gathering and all that sort of stuff and at times those rights uh, are challenged sometimes i think we we cling to our rights or we or we um champion our rights maybe to the detriment of not just our reputation but at the detriment of responsibilities and i want us to talk about that because i might be wrong on this but so we're going to talk about some things at least of where i see these things and people listening may not agree with me josh you might not agree with me on these things and and we can talk about that but here is just i'm just going to kind of lay out my heart on all this and i'm willing to be shown to be wrong on these because i'm still working this out on my own you know, so, but the whole rights versus responsibility thing has really kind of taken on, at least in my own heart, a sense of urgency. And when we talk about voting and, you know, voting rights, or we talk about rights to religion, you know, uh, I just read a story today about a young girl who was wearing a mask to her school and had some religious, some Jesus message on it. And she was forced by the school to take it off and wear a, a school supplied mask that had nothing on it. Well, she just won her court case, and this was a while back, but um, she won because the school infringed upon her freedom of religion and freedom of expression, but they allowed other messages on the masks, but not that one, and they revised their policy after she won. And those are good things, but when we spend so much time champion championing our rights, I think sometimes we can come across as being not concerned about our responsibilities toward other people. So how do we balance those rights with our responsibilities to those around us? Do our rights have limitations? Can our responsibilities trump our rights? And if so, when and why? And we're not going to answer all of those questions. That debate has been going on for centuries. But I think we need to be at least talking about those things. So I've got a couple of definitions here, and these are super basic, and, and I didn't get these from Webster or Britannica or any of those. These are just 
how I kind of see these things. So, and there are plenty of resources around that give really great technical uh, definitions, but here's kind of where I see these. Rights are those things that we're entitled to, either because of legislation or basic human dignity. Things like what we see in our Bill of Rights, the Constitution as a whole, and basic human needs such as food, clothing, and shelter. Rights are something we get from someone or somewhere. We are entitled to them things. Responsibilities, on the other hand, are those things that we are expected to show others. For instance, we are responsible to see that our families are provided for, uh, that our kids get an education, whether that's a public education or private education, that we are good neighbors who shovel our sidewalks in winter, and we, we we're responsible to pay our bills and drive safely and to show respect to others. Responsibilities are something we give to someone or somewhere, if that makes sense. Rights are something we are given. Responsibilities are something we do or, or we give to others. So we have rights and we have responsibilities. Rights refer to us. Responsibilities refer to others, especially in our circle of influence. And I hope this is making sense. So Another way of seeing them differentiated is that rights are encoded and protected by law and responsibilities are what we do to make sure that those rights are observed. I saw that as one on an online discussion on these kind of things. For instance, our rights to free speech and religion are encoded in the Bill of Rights in our Constitution. But some would say, well, do we not have other rights that are not encoded? Do we have the right to just basic human dignity? Well, I don't know that that's encoded anywhere. Scripture says we do. Scripture says we're worthy of dignity just because we're made in the image of God. Um, so we have a right to expect others to treat us that way. Many don't treat people that way. On the other hand, some people would say that you now have a right to emotional safety. Like you have yes. a right to not have your views challenged by people who disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that's not encoded anywhere, mm -hmm. at least not. Uh, in our constitution or our laws, right. but for some people, that is something that they'll they'll fight very hard for, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And try to sort of encode that in, in whatever way they can, whether it's mm -hmm. in a, a you know a school setting or a state law or something like that. So right. that is a discussion that's happening where it's a someone believes that these you know these things are rights or that they feel that they should be entitled mm -hmm. to have those things. Mm -hmm. And and that other people have the responsibility to respect and honor and, you know, abide by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and since and not everybody agrees what those rights should be. Right. And so that's another reason why encoding them can be kind of an issue because we can't encode everything. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking there, I thought about something that our rights can be limited in some ways. For instance, your right to free speech ends with my right to not listen. I am not required by law to listen to you. I don't have to agree with you. I can walk away. I can turn off the mic. I can do whatever I want. I can choose to ignore you completely. Because your right to free speech does not give you the right to force your speech on me. Uh, however. Yeah, you don't have to listen. Right. But you can't, at least in our country, you can't mm -hmm. prevent me from speaking. Right. You don't have to be in the room, but mm -hmm. you, don't, you can't prevent me from speaking. Right. And, and that kind of dovetails into another thing here is, is um, places like Twitter and Facebook, you know, Twitter, 
you know, banned certain people. Uh, President Trump for a while was off Twitter. And then when Elon Musk got it, he brought him back. But there were all these people saying you cannot ban certain people because you don't like their speech. And they're saying that's an infringement on our First Amendment rights. Well, David French, a great uh, conservative Christian thinker and writer, points out that there is a big difference between Twitter and, say, a, a federal government. Twitter can is a private entity. And Twitter is, is not the, the government. So when Twitter says, we don't want you on our platform, that's them exercising their rights as a private business and saying, we don't want to have you. We don't need to listen to you. And we don't need to provide a platform for that. Whereas the government, if the government were to say to Twitter, get rid of that guy, or the government would say, you need to ban certain individuals or certain viewpoints, that would be an infringement on the First Amendment. Well, and I don't know if you've been reading the Twitter files, but the mm. the gist of the Twitter files is that is exactly what happened and has happened for the past several years. Yeah. Yep. That there were regular meetings with between high-level FBI agents who were sending Twitter accounts to ban mm -hmm. or topics to watch out for. Mm -hmm. And it actually wasn't just under Democrats. It was also some of that was done while Trump was president as well, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is equally wrong. But it was... Right. It was the government mm -hmm. telling Twitter who they thought Twitter should ban mm -hmm. um, and trying to pressure them to to do exactly those things and right. turn down the dial on these viewpoints and turn up the dial on those viewpoints. Right. And that's and, wrong and unconstitutional. I think that's an, that is a violation of the First Amendment. But if Twitter were to say no to government pressure, you know, if they just decided, you know, we're not going to listen to the government but there are certain people we just don't like. <laughs> so we're not going to put them on the platform. That's within their rights. And so we can't say, hey, you're, you're violating my First Amendment rights by not allowing me on your platform. They can say, well, no, we don't have to have you on our platform. Can you see Hillary Clinton having an account on the truth platform that Donald Trump owns? Um, she could. But would he really allow that? I don't know. Yeah. See, no, I, and it depends. And if you want to get into this a little mm -hmm. bit, it's actually, you know, now we're getting into my area of expertise a little <laughs> bit. Um, so I've been actually gone pretty deep down the, the Twitter rabbit hole and freedom mm -hmm. of speech. So the big controversy about Twitter is not that they were had a certain terms of service or or code of conduct that they were holding people to and whatever that might be and you might agree or disagree with what that standard is mm -hmm. but that they were applying that standard which is again an encoded set of what you're allowed to say and not say on twitter mm -hmm. inequally mm -hmm. and applying it very harshly in certain cases to things that the owners of twitter didn't agree with and very loosely with other accounts and and types of speech that were more in line with what they agreed with mm -hmm. uh, or had other political reasons for doing so. Um, and so the Twitter files, uh, if you read through them and, you know, you can see the reporting on it or you can read the, the original docs yourselves, it was pretty clear that they were in some cases trying to, there was big debates in Twitter about, you know, wanting to ban someone for mm -hmm. whatever reason and it not technically being a violation of terms of service, mm -hmm. but sort of trying to figure out a way, like, how are we going to justify this thing that we want to do? Right. And Twitter's not a monolith. There were, there mm -hmm. was pretty vigorous debate within Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, but the voices that ultimately prevailed were 
uh, in many cases, the ones that were for more censorship. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it comes out that one big part of the conversation or one big person who was putting a pretty heavy thumb on that scale was a guy who used to work for the FBI and who mm. was, in fact, one of the main people in the whole circus about the Russia gate and and Trump being oh, uh, sure. a Russian agent or under Russian influence, the uh-huh. Steele dossier, which oh, yeah, ended up yeah. being completely and fully debunked, but mm-hmm. it was actually pushed by this guy who then lost his job and then went to work for Twitter <laughs> and started putting his thumb on the scale of Twitter. So, yeah. so there's a whole chain of weirdness <laughs> that you, if you want to go down the, oh, the, I don't. the rabbit hole of Twitter, right. it goes pretty But the key deep. phrase you used was terms of service. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where a a good portion of that could come. It's like, you know, if you're going to say you're going to allow this, but you're not really going to allow it on this side of things, then that is, I think, if if that's an actual violation of the terms of service and you know that going in, or uh, or you're not expecting it, you're you're expecting these terms of service, but it's not being applied to you or you're not being allowed to do it. And it's essentially encoded Mm -hmm. rights and responsibilities for using that platform. So even though it's not government, I mean, conceptually, it's the same thing from a yes. platform and a private entity perspective. Right, right. And yeah. in some ways, you're submitting yourself to their rules, which means, you know, you're putting yourself under their authority, so to speak, mm-hmm. for these, you know, to be allowed to use that platform. Uh, I think somebody who violates that or blatantly violates it could be kicked off. Just like if you go to another country, like mm-hmm. you might not agree with their laws in oh, every yeah. cases, but just the fact that you're visiting by doing that, you agree to their laws while you're there. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so. It, it doesn't work real well when somebody says, I'm an American, you can't arrest me. <laughs> it's like, um, you break a law, you break one of our laws in our country. I can smoke pot at home. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or if you're German, I can drink at 16 at home. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and drive. I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't know if they do. But, uh, uh, but these are good conversations to have because. We do want to be responsible citizens, and yet we don't want to give up our rights. Um, and, you know, here in the U.S., we probably have more religious freedom enshrined in our official founding documents than maybe any other country, maybe ever in history. I don't know. But especially in terms of protecting those freedoms, they're enshrined right in our founding documents. It's not just an issue of live and let live for religious freedom in the U.S. Our religious rights are outlined in our constitution and they're upheld in the courts sometimes not to the degree that maybe some would like but we have a constitutional case in a sense for religious freedom in our country and it's not up to the whims of a leader or even the whims of a particular political party they are enshrined in our founding documents and that's a good thing because in other countries like china iran the sudan north korea it's just the opposite it's the extreme opposite. Expressly forbidden yes. to worship anything except the supreme leader. Right. And in China, they try to make a show of, of religious freedom. Um, they allow a form of the Christian church there called the Three Self Movement. Um, it's a very watered down uh, version of Christianity. Three Self Patriotic Movement, yes, I believe. Yes, thank you. You are absolutely right. Yep. But even within that movement, there is more evangelical presence and that is actually becoming more more and more uh evangelical in some ways and isn't that interesting the government isn't very thrilled about that but i mean today the fact josh and you know this as well as i do people are going to die today in those countries because they love jesus 
and only because they love Jesus. They've chosen to follow Jesus and they are going to pay the supreme penalty for that. Mm -hmm. And some of their families are going to pay that penalty as well. And when I think about that and I think about, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm upset that church starts at 1030 instead of 11, you know, or we need to have an earlier service because the Vikings game starts at noon. Or you know what? I don't like guitars in church. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, people. Who doesn't like guitars in church? Come uh, on. I know. I know. But uh, we just fight over the stupidest things. But anyway, I, I think of places like that. And I, and I have to admit that sometimes I think that we cling to and defend our rights as Christians so much that we forget that with rights come responsibilities. We often see efforts to curb religious freedom, and it happens here in America. I'm not going to minimize that. I'm not going to deny it happens. There are places where where religious expression, particularly Christian religious expression, seems to be being attacked or trying to be diminished. You hear in every day about Christian bakers and and uh, photographers and wedding planners and all this sort of stuff who don't feel that they can you know, provide services for whether it be uh, same-sex marriages or same-sex adoptions. Or divorce uh, or parties. Divorce, right, divorce yeah. parties. And they're being taken to court, and it's a mixed bag of results on some of that. So these people who have a conscience or are acting on their conscience at times are being defeated by people who do not believe that that is a valid religious expression. So, yeah, there is definitely some battle going on and i don't want to minimize that but i think sometimes we see those efforts to curb those freedoms and and those and we just automatically jump into overdrive to drive back those forces and i can appreciate that to a degree because without those freedoms podcasts like this might not be allowed to exist churches might not allowed to be, to be able to speak truth to the culture even truth and love uh, they may take an unpopular position and end up being shut down you know like some churches around the world, but thankfully not in America. But the question we need to wrestle with is when do we put aside our rights for the sake of our responsibilities? And we're going to really go into that next week more than anything, but I want us to at least open the conversation, at least talk about these things. Before we go on here, Josh, is there anything in what we've discussed so far that you really you want to add into or that maybe we need to talk about more or shed some more light on? Yeah, I, you know, I think I th I've observed similar behavior among a lot of Christians. I think that are, emphasize defending their personal rights or rights in general more than emphasizing or living, you know, spending a lot of time talking about their responsibilities, whether it's a responsibility to love their neighbor, uh, the responsibility to obey Jesus, obey mm -hmm. the gospel, you know, mm -hmm. you you know, somebody who's hasn't been to church in a while or doesn't really like to read their Bible or, you know, any number of things that you could pick out and say, you know, it's pretty obvious that if you're a Christian, you know, you're supposed to at the very least do these things on a semi-regular basis. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I've seen and, and heard and maybe have been that person at time where I've mm -hmm. spent way more time thinking about what the state of the religious freedom in America is than the state of my personal life and <laughs> what, what responsibilities I'm not actually 
you know, living up to. Right. right. So yep. I think that's a good point. On the other hand, the Christian also is called to seek the good and the flourishing of whatever city or community or country or culture that they live in. Mm -hmm. And we live in America. Yep. And those rights that we're talking about are one of the main reasons that the United States is the way it is mm -hmm. and that we enjoy the relative freedom and standard of living and even relatively speaking, the lack of violence or living in fear for speaking what you right. think, even if it's stupid or believing mm -hmm. what you believe, even if other people don't agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, those kinds of things, those dangers, mm. you know, being you and your whole village getting murdered because you right. believe the wrong thing or you don't support this particular political or military leader, mm -hmm. that still happens. Yes. And I thank God and a, a lot of Christians, I think, recognize that the reason it doesn't happen here or at least as much, nearly as much uh, compared to a lot of the rest of the world is because of those rights. Mm -hmm. And so if you care about your country and you care about your responsibility to seek the good and the human flourishing of that particular society, one of those responsibilities is to protect those rights. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. And so I, I think what I would like to see more of in Christian attitudes, and I do see a lot of this, mm -hmm. but I would like to see more of it, is being more concerned with the rights of others as well as yourselves, right. or maybe putting the rights of others first. So when you're speaking about religious liberty, for instance, not simply focusing on the religious liberty of Christians, but on how that religious liberty equally applies to people of other faiths, faiths. Yes. Or freedom of conscience mm -hmm. and, and making the point that, yes, that's this is my freedom of conscience, but I also will defend the right of somebody else who I completely disagree with, mm -hmm. by the way, because they have the same freedom of conscience that I do, just right. on principle. Right. And so I think we can all just as humans get really worked up about infringements on rights that directly affect us and not so worked up about infringements on rights that don't affect us or that affect other people that are different from us. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's what I would encourage Christians to, to focus on. And so I think you're right. There is a balance to be mm -hmm. struck. Mm -hmm. and um, in many cases, it's an attitude of heart um, rather than yeah. the fact that you're technically wrong on this or that, you know, issue relating to the importance of rights. Yeah. One thing that I think Christians tend to be maybe slightly better at than a lot of people is being able to, to somewhat see where something is going to lead. Mm -hmm. I think that may be just the influence of the, of the Holy Spirit or the fact that, you know, if you're grounded in the Bible, You've seen this story before because mm -hmm. you're more well acquainted with human nature and you yes. see sort of when things are going in a particular direction, you kind of say, okay, this is not the first time that this has happened in human history. Yes. Um, yes. I, I know where this leads. Yes. You know, if we're, if we're Christians and we believe that God's word is, is the truth and it's timeless and it is from God, then that makes a lot of sense. So not only that, but as Americans, we can see trends in other countries that are also playing out in the United States and that have kind of already led to certain places in those countries mm -hmm. and could very easily lead to that same place in our country. 
Yep. And maybe just maybe we're a few years behind or maybe we're a decade behind. But there's good reason to believe that, you know, getting worked up about this or that thing, you might you might get pushed back and say, well, that's not a big deal. Why is that a big deal? And there is evidence that it it is. It might seem mm-hmm. like a small deal, but you can see how, you know, giving ground here mm-hmm. when it comes to protecting the rights of mm-hmm. a certain group of people has ripple effects going forward and. Sometimes those infringements can't be rolled back and you see how that ends up in, in world history and in uh, geopolitics mm-hmm. today. So, right. Right. That reminds me of a podcast I was just listening to the other day uh, by uh, truth over tribe. They actually discussed uh, an interview that Matt Walsh had with Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan had Matt Walsh on his show. Yes, I did hear some of that. Mm-hmm. And they discussed uh, Matt Walsh's um, views on traditional marriage and other things. And, um, Joe Rogan's push, one of his pushbacks as well, you know, what does it matter to you as a human if two people of the same sex get married? How does that damage you? And honestly, Matt Walsh didn't have much of an answer for that. I think he could have done a better job. I'm, yeah. Uh, I agree. But the, uh, the truth of tribe goes, you know, I think we need to understand that it's easy for guys like Joe Rogan to look at an individual and not look at the societal. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt Walsh has a bigger belief in the societal things. He just wasn't able to express it that day on that particular episode. I don't know that I would have, but you're right. It's, we need to also think of our responsibilities on a societal level, not just on an individual level. I had something else. Oh yeah. And I was just thinking earlier too, the early church, you know, we, we talk about the early church as if that's the only model of church there is, but it was so good. (laughs) And I understand that this was 2000 years ago, but the church flourished in an oppressive setting when christianity was born i mean the roman government was not very friendly and neither was the jewish establishment they wanted these guys dead and the romans were more than happy to accommodate that you know especially when people were expressing allegiance to jesus and they felt that that was that could lead to revolt you know things mm-hmm. so but what happened the church grew and it was Mainly because, you know, they, the people, the disciples, early disciples were true to the teachings of Jesus, but they were also true to the life of Jesus. And I think the early church cared more about responsibilities than they did about rights because they had no rights, at least not much. Well, yeah, rights was one of those things that you either, you had, if you were a citizen of Rome, like, or you had purchased those rights, there Mm -hmm. wasn't any real concept of inalienable human rights i suppose mm-hmm. right uh that that's that's something that came later right. however uh, one thing that came to mind was that they were concerned with rights in the sense that jesus came to secure our rights mm-hmm. because of what he did we were i don't remember the scripture uh given the right to become children of god yeah john 1 12 and the, the the right of citizenship of heaven mm-hmm. and so right. in that sense and the rights of adoption right and the rights of inheritance. I mean, you mm-hmm. go and look, you start looking at all that language that was used. It was like legal speak for, you know, whether you were inherited the family riches and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were applying that to people who had basically no right to inherit anything from God who were just mm-hmm. given it freely. And yeah. um, so, so they did talk a lot about rights in that yes. sense, but they were yeah. spiritual rights that we didn't earn mm-hmm. uh, and that we were um, granted by God's grace. Right. And being a Christian was a very political thing. Oh, yeah. Romans were cool with Christianity 
until they said, we have only one king, only one God, and it's only Jesus. That's when they started getting upset because back then, the Caesars and stuff would allow themselves to be deified in the eyes of their people. And so a Caesar could be a God. And of course, mm-hmm. Roman Roman culture and, and Hellenistic Greek culture were polyga- or polygamist. Um, they were. Yeah. To some extent, but yes. <laughs> Polytheistic. Excuse Polytheistic. Me. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, Christians were considered atheists yes. in Roman and Greek culture. Yes. Because they would not worship Caesar in many oh. ways. Yeah. Gotcha. Did or you because know, he didn't deny those other gods. Uh, Caesar Augustus. Uh, actually, there is a document exists, I believe, called the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. Mm. And uh, it was a proclamation of the good news of Caesar's kingdom coming mm-hmm. to, you know, a certain region that was now under Roman control mm. and how that was going to change things for the better. And life was going to be grand because they were now under Caesar. <laughs> and so. When you think about that language being common in that in that particular mm-hmm. culture, and then you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're mm-hmm. proclaiming Jesus Christ to be king, and his kingdom and is his coming. Kingdom. Um, yep. We like to, you know, get mad at Christians for not being political or right. being too political or getting too mm-hmm. involved in politics. But in some sense, like you said, being a Christian was inherently political in yes. that sense. That yeah. It was very clear uh, when you said the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you read some of Paul's letters and very similar language mm-hmm. to the way a royal par- proclamation would be written mm-hmm. and delivered to an, a people, yep. um, but with a very different kingdom in mind yes. and a very different object of worship. <laughs> and so Indeed. you bet the Romans were a little bit uh, annoyed, shall we say. Yes. <laughs> Just a tad. Just a tad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think uh, the one of the things that stood out in the early church is that their emphasis on living out the teaching of Jesus, pretty like the Sermon on the Mount, you mm-hmm. know, they, you know, they, they cared for each other's needs. They met each other's needs, both within the, the, the church in a sense and outside the church. And people were attracted to the gospel of Jesus because of the, they, of what they saw in the lives of these Christians who helped, loved each other and helped each other and shared with each other and met each other's needs. And, uh, people were strangely attracted to that, even though there was a risk. Mm-hmm. That was a great time when Christians were, the gospel was attractive because of how it was lived out in the lives of people. It wasn't just a theology. It wasn't just the truth of Jesus. They saw that that truth was lived out in them, and that's what made it attractive. And they saw that truth lived out even at the risk of imprisonment, stoning, crucifixion, uh, all those things. And yet the church grew by thousands and thousands and thousands. And I think a lot of it has to do with the the church and and Christians being concerned for the the rights of others mm-hmm. and giving up their rights in order to secure like true freedom, spiritual liberty, and the right of people to be you know brought into the kingdom of God. Right, and that is what Jesus did. So they were modeling Jesus. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, Paul mm-hmm. talks a lot about Jesus who didn't regard his. Uh, you know, his, his authority, his, his godness to, as a thing to be held on to, but he gave it up yep. to secure our rights. Yep. So he laid down his life and his rights, things that he was entitled to mm-hmm. in order to give those things to us. Right. And I think a proper response to that as Christians is to be kind of like I was saying before, be less concerned about our rights and being willing to give up some of those rights in order mm-hmm. to. Uh, win true liberty and freedom for others. Right. 
even on a human level, we, we recognize that that's a noble thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're fighting in a war to free some people um, from slavery or whatever it is, you brought up the civil war earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those are people laying down their right to life, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, their right to autonomy, their right to, you know, they're and saying, I'm going to fight and die for you, sir, in order to win the freedom of these people over here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a big deal. Yes. And so Christians are called to do something similar uh, just in their personal lives. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because we're supposed to live the model of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Specifically, we're going to take a look at the words of Paul. And here's a guy who was not shy about declaring his rights. And at times in the book of Acts, used his rights as a Jewish citizen or Jewish Roman citizen, excuse me, to advocate for himself and others. So we're going to look at some of that. We're going to look at not only his actions, but we're also going to look at his teachings. Uh, Because Paul has a lot to say about rights, about personal rights. And I think we need to take a hard look at that. We're also going to look at the example of Jesus uh, and see what we can do to emulate that a little bit. Um, So next week's going to be a bit more of a Bible study, you might say, uh, into this realm. And uh, so uh, with that, we hope we've got the kind of the juices flowing in people's thoughts about rights and responsibilities. We don't pretend to have all the answers. In fact, I have very few answers. Um, <laughs> this is Again, this is something that I'm working through in my own brain, but I just felt we needed to discuss this more now, um, particularly, you know, even though we're almost two years away from the next general election. Uh, but these are things to be talking about and thinking about now, because we don't want to wait until October and say, oh, hey, by the way, there's an election coming up next month. Uh, here's some things to think about. But if we can start getting people thinking about these things now, uh, and even over the course of the next, you know, whatever it is, 18 months, 20 months, then I think that will help us, I think, uh, reflect Jesus more accurately in how we converse with people about these very important things. Great. Well, this is a, a exciting discussion. I'm really enjoying it. And I appreciate bringing this to our attention to talk about. And I am looking forward to the next one. Great. And uh, let us know what you guys think. Yeah, we'd love to hear uh, comments and um, other perspectives than just the the two of ours. You bet. You have a right to yes. tell us what you think. <laughs> <laughs> no fr- no squelching of the freedom of speech here. Exactly. Well, we do ask yeah. that you keep it, you know, adult and um, civil. We ask that, you know, so. Anyway. Sure. And we have a right to listen to or ignore any comments that exactly we right. feel are yes. worse of that. Your freedom of speech ends at my freedom to listen. Or to, to not listen. There we go. To listen up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Bring it all back around. There you go. Full circle. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Living Beyond Your Memes is a production of Truth Love Media and Discipleship DNA. Editing by EC Productions. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in touch with Brian LaCroix at discipleshipdna.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.